As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Each week, we bring you the very best blues coverage as provided by The Athletic's Chelsea experts. On this episode, we're discussing the fallout from Project Big Picture, rounding up the international blues news, particularly regarding those involved with England on Wednesday. We'll also look ahead to this weekend's game against Southampton, the return of the Champions League and more. Available for free everywhere and ad-free via The Athletic app, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, welcome in, listener. Thanks for being with us. I'm Matt Davis-Adams in the company of The Athletic's three wise men as regards Chelsea Football Club, if nothing else. Uh, Simon Johnson is with us. Hi, Simon. Hello. So too, Dominic Fifield. Hi, Dom. Hey, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. And it wouldn't be an SOC without to me. That's Liam. Hello, Liam. Oh, nice. Mm, I can't yeah. wait for the actual football to start. <laughs> right, we're going to start today by discussing the short-lived idea that was Project Big Picture and what it did slash would have meant for Chelsea. Uh, it was on Sunday of last week that the news broke of the plan to save English football or kill it once and for all, depending on your perspective. Uh, the proposals tied together under the name Project Big Picture, led by Liverpool and Manchester United, included a £250 million bailout for the financially stricken EFL, with them getting a 25% cut of all future TV deals. However, it would also have seen more power transferred to the so-called big six clubs in the Premier League, of which Chelsea are one. Uh, The Premier League itself weren't keen and at an emergency meeting of its shareholders on Wednesday rejected the proposal. Instead, the aim is for all 20 Premier League clubs to devise a plan for future structures and financing of English football and in the short term offer financial assistance to struggling clubs in League 1 and 2 in the shape of grants and loans worth £50 million. Big explainer on The Athletic now, which I would encourage listeners to read for the full picture. We've had a tweet from Annie asking, can you explain Chelsea's position on project? big picture more clearly uh, Don they were kind of in the shadows on this one um, what's the view from the club what was it before the report was released and, and thereafter to the reaction to it it was Rick Parry who actually suggested that that Bruce Buck had been quite heavily involved in the drawing up of of the plans for project big picture I mean not as much as Manchester United and Liverpool clearly but but the implication was that there'd been some kind of level of discussion 
really since the the plot was hatched, the plan was hatched back in, I think it was 2017, Chelsea distanced themselves from it quite swiftly on Sunday. And I, and I wonder whether that's partly because they they probably realised that there was very little chance of this being picked up by the rest of the Premier League. I mean, it, Turkey's voting for Christmas and all that. They were never going to get the 14 votes required when the Premier League met as a body uh, to clear the, these plans. Um, if nothing else, it has brought the whole issue into the the public eye and put a lot more emphasis and responsibility on the Premier League clubs to come up with some kind of rescue package, uh, some kind of restructuring of, of the game financially in this country. And, you know, the onus is very much on them to, to, to produce something now in the, in, in the weeks ahead before the, the EFL really is crippled by the, the implications of COVID-19. Now, this was clearly going to, if it had been passed through, it would have benefited Chelsea because they would have been one of those those six clubs that basically had power of veto over virtually anything in the division. They were, they were going to... There was all this stuff about how it was actually nine clubs. They were going to include West Ham, Southampton and Everton, but they needed a two-third majority. So as long as the big six voted in favour of 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 any proposal or, or voted to veto, veto anything, then that's what was going to happen. And look, at Chelsea, I'm sure Chelsea probably want a greater share of international television right money. I suspect they, they, they feel as if the big six deserve more because they generate the most revenues in terms of, and the most interest around the the globe but um look personally speaking thankfully it didn't didn't go through and, and hopefully they come up with something slightly uh, fairer when it comes to the competitiveness of the top division uh, in the weeks ahead simon it, it's interesting because it, the, the general reception to it seems to have been oh this is appalling however there are quite a few good ideas i, I guess if nothing else it, it's forced the Premier League, and to a lesser extent, a far lesser extent, the government, in, into action to actually doing something to help these EFL clubs who, who desperately need the help. You know, you wonder if that would have been forthcoming had this proposal not, not been put out there first. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the one positive I think you can take from what's been proposed is is at least there's a there's a conversation. What what I don't understand is is why Premier League clubs have sort of come out and and not exactly been. Um, too willing to help by the sounds of it until until now and then this project gets proposed with all these provisos these things in exchange uh, for the investment I think that's what really stinks about this is is why couldn't they just be offering this uh, these kind of things anyway I mean obviously in a, in a naive world you get nothing nothing for free in this in this world I, I liked the like some of the proposals I like for example was the the dropping of the parachute payments, but making it a 25% um, annual contribution from the Premier League um, revenue. I thought that was a really good idea and, and, and one that I hope can be pursued regardless of what's in exchange for it. Liam, do you think this is just a, another step towards a European Super League eventually being formed? And is that something that Chelsea supporters will actually want? Is it something that supporters as a whole will want? I don't know if, if we're heading on kind of a linear track towards a European Super League but it does seem pretty clear at this point that we're heading towards um, a a sort of coordinated uh, effort to consolidate the power of the existing elite clubs Um, and Chelsea are part of that you know as much as all of these clubs distance themselves from ideas they know are are, are doomed to fail um, 
every time something like this comes up, it's it's pretty much all the all the elite European clubs have have talked about it to some degree. Um, and I think the the 2024-2025 season is regarded as a big sort of tipping point. Um, that's when the Champions League structure becomes up for negotiation again. And the the thinking in football is that the, the elite clubs are going to push for that competition to be expanded. Another thing I think that supporters won't really want, because as things are right now, the group stage can be a bit of a snooze fest. Um, but... And that, w- that was part of this Premier League plan, wasn't it? That by reducing the number of teams in the Premier League and by basically culling the League Cup, you could create more dates for a potentially expanded Champions League. But it, it's all going the way of the elite European clubs consolidating and, and gathering more power for themselves. And I, d- I don't think really long-term that's good for the sport, regardless of whether or not it, it leads directly to a European Super League. It should be said that the Chelsea Supporters Trust came out and in against the proposals, um, along with the other five big clubs, the Supporters Trust from them. So it, it would appear that those particular plans um, had not attracted the interest or, or, or piqued the interest of of the supporters. They they saw <laughs> indeed the bigger picture uh, as opposed to project big picture. And and uh, and we're going to resist it as much as they could. I and mean, we're not. No one's kidding ourselves. I mean, unfortunately, fans don't have the power that, they, that we would all like fans to have. Um, but there was a groundswell against the plans when they when it came out on Sunday. Project Big Picture then kicked into the long grass. It seems change is afoot there. The Athletic, of course, is the best place to keep up with any new developments. Okay, next today, we'll round up how Chelsea's international players fared for their countries over the break. As usual, plenty of international action for the bulk of Chelsea's first team squad over the past fortnight. We won't go through it all. We'll talk some of the highlights, though. Starting with England, Rhys James made his debut as a sub against Wales, came off the bench against Belgium before earning his first start and impressing during the game, at least, in Wednesday's 1-0 defeat against Andreas Christensen's Denmark. Uh, He soured that by getting sent off for confronting the ref after the final whistle. Mason Mount hit the winner in the weekend game against Belgium and nearly equalised on Tuesday. Um, Simon, you've written about Mason Mount. He's somebody we've been talking for for a number of weeks on this podcast and and the perception of him by supporters as opposed to by managers. And, you, and you've looked at that not just from a Chelsea perspective. Well, no, because um, as I went log, logged on to Twitter, as I do on a daily basis, um, I just saw his name was trending uh, during the international break. And once again, it wasn't for positive reasons. It just prompted me to write something because... Um, he gets it a lot of stick from from a section of Chelsea fans on Twitter and, and other various social networks, etc. Um, and here he was getting it whilst away with England as well. And I just found it all a bit all a bit baffling, really, because um, you know whether you rate him as a player or not, it's the extent of the abuse that he gets that that, that baffles me. Um, you might not uh, you might not like him as a player, but you know he's one of the nicest kids you could ever wish to meet. All he wants to do is play football and he certainly doesn't deserve that kind of uh, poison in, in his life. So I, I just thought I'd examine the sort of why is he disliked, you know, is there any justifiable reason? Because it seems to me the only crime he's guilty of is being selected a lot by his two managers for club and country. And he's kind of being sucked into the dislike 
again from the same probably same people of the of the managers and um it's almost like got this sort of teacher's pet kind of vibe going on when actually he's a he's still a very good footballer um so anyway it just prompted me to to write something and 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 perhaps raise the question that uh yeah you might not uh you might not want him in the team but perhaps think about how you express yourself yeah, absolutely. Um, Liam, as for that that red card for for Reece James, real shame because he'd probably been England's best player against Denmark before that. But but given that England have had various problems with discipline on and off the field lately, that, that's not going to that's not going to curry much favour with Gareth Southgate. You wouldn't think. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I must caveat all of this by saying that I didn't watch the game. I've not watched a minute of international football <laughs> uh, this week or last because I, I'm I professional. Can't bring... I can't bring myself to care about the Nations League right now and I don't really think international football should be happening at all. Having said all of that, um, I did I did see the highlights of, of Rhys James' performance. It didn't surprise me at all that he would he would offer as much as he did, particularly going forward with his with his crossing threat. Uh the red card I'm actually slightly encouraged because I Rhys James is, is one of the quietest people <laughs> character wise that um that, that I've encountered at Chelsea, so it's, I'm quite encouraged that he's got that kind of steel to him to go and go and confront the ref. Obviously, not the best um, directing of that energy, but that's all part of a young player learning. And within the wider context of England, yeah, it's probably indicative of bigger issues that Gareth Southgate has to solve. But um, I don't think it's much for for Reece James to worry about long term, and I don't think it's much for Chelsea to worry about long term. I think it showed, not that I'm one for ref bashing, but I think it showed just how bad that referee was, that it mm. got Reese James to, to to come out and have a pop at him because, as Liam said, he's, he's not the loudest member of the Chelsea or and undoubtedly England squad. But, yeah, that referee managed to, to fire him up, which, um, yeah, I have to say, was probably deserved given the kind of decisions that were given that night. Uh, while we're on Chelsea and England full-backs, Ben Chilwell left the camp early due to injury. Here's Bassman93 tweeting to ask, is Chilwell going to continue suffering with his heel? My mum had a similar issue and it's fairly chronic. Simon, you're our Ben Chilwell correspondent. He, he, this isn't expected <laughs> to keep him out for too long, is it? No, um, and and the, the hope is, and I've already written a piece um with a bit of team news involved, and and that the hope is that he should be fine to face Southampton, which gives the impression that um, it was precautionary. Um, it, he didn't exactly have the the most enjoyable international break um, for one reason or another. It didn't start too well um, due to uh, that party that shouldn't have been attended, um, and then he he fell ill. Um, but I think perhaps you know there was a there was a twinge or two. And it thought it was best for him to go back to Chelsea. But yeah, I'm very much under the impression that um, as things stand, he, he could be featuring against Southampton. So I wouldn't worry too much at the moment. But um, yeah, it's obviously not good after being out for so long with a certain injury that there's any twinge still going on there. But um, if he plays like he did against Crystal Palace, then, um, then uh, yeah, it can't be troubling him too much. 
Uh, away from England, Kai Havertz and Timo Werner both on target in Germany's three-all draw with Switzerland on Tuesday. Tony Rudiger started that too. Hakim Ziyech made his return from the injury he sustained in pre-season. He featured for Morocco in their friendly win against Senegal. More on him shortly. Uh, Edouard Mendy picked up a thigh injury whilst away with Senegal. He's a, a doubt for Saturday's game against Southampton. Thiago Silva played 90 minutes for Brazil in their draw with Peru. Whether that means he'll be able to feature at the weekend, we'll wait and see. Uh, finally, on internationals, here's a tweet from James, who opines Giroud's performance against Ukraine certainly put him back in the mix if Frank insists on playing Werner on the left. Um, Simon, you've written for The Athletic on why you should never write Giroud off. feel like we've been here before. Do you think there's any chance that, that he could be, be a starter for Chelsea in the next couple of weeks? Well, yeah, given that the fixture list is, is pretty intense, uh, I think it's seven games in, in 22 days. And and also, you know, he's the kind of guy that, as we've seen already a few times in the Chelsea shirt, that when he seems to be out of favour, he, he does come back in and prove himself very hard to get rid of. I think Lampard has sort of gone back to sort of looking at Tammy Abraham and, and, and that pace combined with... Um, that little um, combination with Havertz in, in the League Cup against Bar- Bar- um, Barnsley, rather, almost said Burnley, Barnsley, um, that, that looked quite promising. But um, I mean, the the point of the piece as well was was to sort of also ask the question: Why is it that he's uh, so much so trusted and plays for France no matter how well he plays, and yet for Arsenal and Chelsea, it's been a a pretty consistent sort of constant battle to prove his worth. But the conclusion I came away with is that he, he just never quits. He's determined to to always prove a point. He never gives up. And that's something that Lampard, I think, really has come to appreciate. It's taken a bit of time, but I think Lampard himself has sort of values him as a as a member of that squad, whether he's in the, in the team or not. He was actually quoted... Um, on the official website a week or two ago, talking about how he was roaring encouragement for for Tammy Abraham from from behind him in the dugout, and and I think that's sort of a measure of the man. But I, I'm sure he will play a lot because he's just too good to ignore. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. So, Saturday, 3pm, Chelsea back at the bridge. You can pay £15 to watch the game against Southampton on pay-per-view. <laughs> uh, not sure many people will be doing that. Uh, we've been teasing this team news piece that you've put up as we record on Thursday, Simon. Adash wants to know, will we finally see the Fab Four of Pulisic, Ziyech, Havertz and Werner starting together? Sounds like there's a good chance we might. It's possible. Um, I mean, the, the most interesting thing is Ziyech. 
is is looking like he he will feature. Um, he's definitely being lined up for either a, a bench role coming off the bench, presumably depending on the scoreline. Um, you know, may may take the safe option, and 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 Chelsea might have to be in the lead comfortably, or for him to come on. Um, depends what's going on, or but a start hasn't been ruled out, although it's unlikely he will be able to play the full 90 because you've got to bear in mind he's barely played since March. There's not been much football in, in his legs. So match fitness is the is the main concern. But encouragingly, of course, there was a, a hint of it with him being able to come on as a sub for Morocco. He's sort of finally ready to, to play for Chelsea. And um, yeah, fans will undoubtedly be excited at the prospect of or Ziyech playing on the on the right flank with perhaps Rhys James behind. I mean, what a, what a right flank that will be in terms of crosses into the box. Uh, I'm sure the likes of Giroud and Abraham and and Werner at the back post um, will be uh, uh, very excited at the prospect of getting on on the end of those. But um, as as for the other players, uh, I mean, Pulisic came on didn't he sort of late on uh, against Crystal Palace. You'd sort of think that he's had uh, a bit more time to to get even fitter. Um, so yeah, it's it's getting very very close now to um, all the new signings and and all the injured players sort of getting in the team and and then we can finally judge just how good Chelsea are. Uh, Simon mentions injured players there. We said that Mendy unlikely to play in goal this weekend. Here's a tweet from Andrew who asks: With Kepa starting in goal, how many changes would you make to protect him? Go uber conservative with. Five at the back and Jorginho, Kovacic and Kante starting to shield the defence. Uh, Liam, before we came on air, I was reading your piece about Kepa and his performances or performance over the international break and it gave me some reason for encouragement. Maybe maybe this is the start of the Kepa revival. Yeah, well, I mean, it's <laughs> if things are broken differently in that game against Portugal, he, he could have conceded three times without doing anything differently. They hit the bar twice and... Um, Joao Felix missed from a yard out. So it, it's baby steps really with Kepa. He did show positive signs, um, particularly coming off his line at set pieces. And he made uh, one nice save in a one-on-one situation from Felix in that game. He was then rotated out uh, for David De Gea for the two Nations League games. So De Gea is, is Spain's number one again under Luis Enrique. Um, but Mendy's injury, while we understand that it's not serious it does provide maybe the glimpse of a second chance for Kepper a little bit sooner than than I'm sure he would have anticipated. I think that he was probably looking at the situation thinking it was pretty gloomy towards the end of the transfer window. I think they were they were looking at, at possible loan options um, and, and then stopped when they realised there weren't any. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so he... Until January, he's got to try and battle this out and get his confidence back and and and, and try to to show what he's capable of again. I don't see Lampard making big tactical changes if Kepa's in the team because Lampard wants his team to play the way he wants them to play. I don't think he's going to completely um, abandon, particularly the attacking half of his game plan, just because he doesn't trust his goalkeeper. At that point, he'd probably just play Caballero. So I, I still expected a, an attack-minded Chelsea team and, and it'll be up to Kepa to 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 play better in the big moments and, and also more generally project a bit more confidence to, to the defenders in front of him. 
Don, whether it's Kepa or Caballero in goal, this Southampton game is going to be a good measuring post, isn't it? To, to see how far Chelsea have come from last season because they, they lost this fixture last term and it was this this kind of opposition that they stumbled against regularly. Yeah, and they're coming up against a team that's that's found a bit of form. They're two, uh, two successive wins just prior to the international break and two clean sheets en route. So it's uh it is a test it is a test and and you sort of want ideally um the the players in front of now going to be kepper to to be very similar to those that, that that finished the game and were so impressive against crystal palace and i guess much will depend on how tiago silva comes back from from peru and you know whether that's been an exhausting trip for him uh, with on international duty with brazil um, because you'd want him and and Kurt Zuma in the at the heart of your your defence, I'd, I'd I'd suggest um, just to, just to provide that that solidity and that consistency at the back, we need to start seeing some sort of similar teams played uh, in successive games. I'd imagine, albeit Frank has obviously Frank Lampard's obviously got uh, Sevilla also to think about for for next week, but it's it, it will be a test. Uh, it's going to be a a test to, to to prize open stubborn opponents, but but opponents who do pose a threat in as well. And in, in obviously Danny Ings, who had a, such a wonderful season last year, but they they've got paces that in there as well. Gineppo looks a, a a good player now. Nathan Redmond off the bench in the last few games, and they've got pace at, at fullback as well. So it's yeah, it'll it, it'll it'll be a proper test, a far more of a test, I imagine, um, of of Chelsea's defence than than Palace posed a few weeks back. It's going to be an interesting game. We'll react to it in next week's show. We've also got the Champions League on the horizon. Chelsea kicking off their campaign on Tuesday with Sevilla visiting Stamford Bridge. We'll look ahead to that next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. They are the best teams. They are the best teams. The main event, the master, the best, the great teams, the champions, a big meeting, a great sporting event, the main event, the master, the best, the greatest team, the champions. They are the best. They are the best. These are the champions, the master, the best, the champions. Those, of course, the incredible, inaccurate lyrics of the Champions League theme tune, which will be heard echoing around Stamford Bridge on Tuesday night as Chelsea welcomes Sevilla in the Blues' first game in Group A. In the Blues' first game in Group E, where they are also joined by Krasnodar and Wren. Um, Liam, I know football's not played on paper, as Brian Clough once said, but but it's fair to say that this is a, a far easier-looking group stage draw than, than last season's, which was which was a group of death, really. First of all, I'll just compliment you on that, Matt. That was spine tingling. Um, <laughs> Every year when the Champions League rolls around, I always really look forward to reading the lyrics again. They are so moving. <laughs> fourth versus fourth. <laughs> <laughs> and it's live. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my first thought when when looking at Chelsea's Champions League group was that it was a jumped-up Europa League group, um, particularly with the presence of Sevilla. And I made the <laughs> joke that it might be even easier for Chelsea because Sevilla would be gunning for third place to to set up their grand title defence. Did anyone look? No, no, no one. No one. Twi- Twitter is the, the harshest audience. Um, but... Uh, it it brings pressure in its own way on on Lampard because 
I think there's no excuse really for, well, certainly no excuse for Chelsea not to qualify from this group. But more than that, um, it's probably a, a fair bit of pressure for them to top the group, given how much they've spent and, and the fact that Sevilla have a, quite a bit of turnover every year and have, have never really been seen as a established Champions League club. It's also a little bit dangerous as well, I think, partly because of where the group stage falls in the in the season calendar. You know, we we've spoken at length about how Chelsea are still kind of finding their way as a squad, as a team, with all these new players still bedding people in and getting everyone up to the same level of fitness. And so the these first couple of group games, Severe at home, Krasnodar away, are gonna be quite tricky. And they um particularly the Krasnodar away game as well comes between difficult Premier League games away at Manchester United and away at Burnley. Um so navigating the schedule will be a, a challenge for Lampard. He's got no shortage of bodies with which to do it. We saw last year how much more complicated uh, losing to Valencia made things on, on match day one. And Chelsea managed to battle through that with that amazing win in Amsterdam against Ajax and, and get through the group. But I'm sure they'll want a more straightforward path this time around. Simon, that was going to be my um, my next question, actually. Lessons learned. We're, we're talking about Southampton in, in that regard and seeing if Chelsea have progressed. Similar thing here, I guess. Lost a Spanish opposition at home on, on match day one. And as, as Liam said, left themselves in in a sticky situation thereafter. So so that will still be resonating fairly loudly in the, uh, the eardrums of the Chelsea players, I guess. For sure. I mean, this is, apart from uh, severe away, you know, this is the the toughest game in the group, that makes sense. Um, I mean, starting with home game, that, that obviously helps. But Sevilla are a very good side. Um, you know, they, they even they made life t- a little bit difficult for Bayern Munich in the in the UEFA Super Cup final. They've got, they're blessed with, with talent. Of course, they've, they've lost a few players um, from the team that won the, the Europa League. But, you know, there's still players there that... that Premier League clubs have been sort of considering buying like um, the centre-backs like Jules Koundé um, up front you've got Campos, uh, Luke de Jong etc so this is going to be difficult and, and Chelsea and Lampard will be under pressure to make it a far more e- easier going than they did last season um, so but if they get off to a win then then it's you would imagine it's smooth sailing from there but it's just getting that first victory on the board um, but I would still expect that Chelsea and Sevilla will be the two teams to progress. It says everything about how strong Sevilla are, that, that Barcelona actually celebrated with some gusto uh, getting a one-all draw at Camp Nou against them just before the international break. Um, that, that was a, Ronald Koeman actually took that as a positive sign for Barcelona, dropping points at home to Sevilla. Um, they've they've lost one game in in 26, stretching back to February, albeit you know obviously the COVID situation has influenced that. Um, but they've got quality, as Simon says, up and down up and down the spine of their of their team. Jordan and Fernando Suso, uh, Usama Idrisi did wonderful things at AZ Alkmaar and was was touted around Europe and Sevilla were the team that took the plunge and got him this summer, they, they will pose a real threat to Chelsea. And I think it's a really, really difficult start for, for Chelsea, to be honest. Yeah, certainly they need a better result than they got last year. Uh, as as Don mentioned, Sevilla pretty good in the league before this weekend. One, two of their opening three and that that draw with Barcelona as well. Uh, it's an 8pm kickoff at the bridge on Tuesday night for that one. 
Uh, elsewhere, the women's team earned a terrific 3-1 win against their big rivals Manchester City last weekend thanks to goals from Marin Mieldis, Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby. Michael Cox has written about that game for The Athletic, specifically focusing on Kirby and Erin Cuthbert. Uh, the match against Aston Villa this weekend, they've been postponed. Villa have had a player test positive for COVID. Meanwhile, you can see the Chelsea development squad take on Derby at noon on Saturday on the Chelsea website and app. Ian Martson won't be featuring in that one though. The Dutch defender has this week joined League One Charlton on loan for the rest of the season. That's just about it for today. Let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic Readers to enjoy though. Liam, we touched on that Kepa piece. What else has been in your intro this week? Yeah, so that Kepa piece is available for subscribers to read right now. But I'm also working on a piece about Saeed Benrahma, uh, only really tangentially related to Chelsea now. They did look at him um, for a while, but he was he was never top of their list for for attacking reinforcements and now he's he looks very much to be heading elsewhere in the Premier League elsewhere in London to West Ham so uh, I've dug into a little bit of his background and, and his journey. Dom I enjoyed your sit down with Sol Campbell about uh, how to make sense of Premier League defending this season what, what else have you been working on? Uh, I'm working on a piece on one of Chelsea's future opponents in the Champions League uh, the French club Stade René who are making their debut in the competition after finishing third in a truncated uh, season last last time round. Um, should be quite interesting. Julia and Stefan has done a, an incredible job uh, in Brittany with, with them, a team which includes the 17-year-old sensation Camavinga, who I think most clubs in Europe would love to get their hands on, but also the young Belgian talent Jeremy Doku as well. So I think they'll pose a, a threat further down the line to, to clubs like Chelsea. Yeah, Camavinga, definitely one to watch in the future. Uh, Simon, your output has been prolific in recent weeks. What have you got in the pipeline for Athletic subscribers to enjoy? Well, there's a there's a, a different kind of piece that I've worked with Jack Pickbrook on, and that's um, a piece on the pressure of being England's number one goalkeeper. I provided the the Rob Green element to it. No, no surprises there, given I've spoken to him a few times. But um, Jack's done a really good piece of knitting it all together because, of course... A lot of talk about Jordan Pickford's position right now. Um, but it's just sort of painting the picture of just how difficult it is to be England's number one where your every move is scrutinised. Um, as for the next piece in the pipeline, I talked about it last week, but um, it's now sort of finally being brought to fruition. And it's the answering the question, do you need uh, an ex-defender um, to, to help coach uh, a good defence? And... Both Liam and Dom have uh, helped provide some of the voices for that piece, which hopefully will be running in the next few days. Excellent. Look forward to reading it. Remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month by visiting theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod. My thanks to Liam, to Dom and to Simon for joining me today and to producer Adonis and to you two listener. We'll do it all again next week. But for now, it's goodbye. <music> Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.